I wonder if at some point, or if you've ever asked yourself this question, maybe not, if you've ever asked yourself, is there any possible way to know that I am a child of God? Maybe for the longest time you've struggled and you've doubted the goodness and the promises of God. Maybe one thing that's happened is you read here, Abba, Father, and immediately your mind goes to a cruel father, an abusive father, an absent father. So for you to wrap your head around a father who loves you is hard. So you believe in Jesus, but you're a bit skittish around the father. Let me tell you a story quickly. For the longest time, this, is, this isn't a joke at all. <laughs> For the longest time, I questioned if I was adopted or not. I know, super silly. Here, let me explain why, though. It wasn't anything that my parents said, and it's not because I had two older siblings that I was clearly the favorite, and my parents were not shy to tell my siblings Max is the favorite, and so my siblings were just trying to get back at me, leaving little hints and clues to make me, maybe they were, maybe they gaslit me my whole entire childhood into believing that I was adopted. But it's not like they tried to play a cruel joke on me. Actually, this is something that I've never told anybody. So you ask my parents, you ask my siblings, the only person that I've talked with this about is Sharif's. Where I thought for a time, for a, for a while, I have to be adopted. I can't be a part of this screwy family. Right? I was not the black sheep of the family. I was the white sheep of the family because I'm extra white compared to my family. My family is shorter and stocky. I'm thinner and taller. They all have brown hair and dark eyes. And I have blonde hair and blue eyes. And believe it or not, when I was younger, my hair was even whiter, almost pale. I mean, maybe you, you think it's pale. This is, this is definitely a shade darker than what it was. So my parents, short and stocky, dark hair, dark eyes. My siblings loved this Music that was this emo, hard rock, screamo stuff. I listened to hip hop. They loved theater and music. I played sports. Nothing added up. So for the longest time, I just was like, maybe I'm adopted. Now, this all changed for me, though, at one point. And it actually changed for me back when I was in high school. It was a summer, and we were taking a family trip to Chicago because we were celebrating my grandparents' 50th anniversary. I had the great privilege that everyone looks forward to, to being an usher. I got to hand out programs and then take my great aunts down the aisle and then get kissed with caked-on lipstick, and every time I had to wipe it off. But it was about... An hour and a half before the service started, I got to my post. I was standing there. I was looking at the program. This verse was going to be read here. This is when my 
grandma, affectionately known as Oma, would be walking down the aisle with her children. This is uh, Father Joe Schmo would be officiating the wedding. But when I turned that program over, what I saw staggered me. It actually almost brought tears to my eyes. This, I turned it over and I saw a picture. On one side, as a young, early uh, adult, was my Oma. On the other side was my Opa, and my jaw hit the floor because I looked at it and I said, that's me. That dude looks like me. Nobody else in my family does, but definitely that guy, he looks like me. And I take it to my dad, and I'm like, Dad, you know, Opa kind of looks like me, and he kind of looks at me like, well, yeah, duh. But I had my confirmation. There was something in my heart that caused me to say, as screwed up as this family is, they're my family. There was this assurance and confirmation that this had to be my family. Hey, look, the Spirit of God confirms our adoption as children of God. So This is what we're going to be looking at this morning, is how the Spirit confirms our adoption as children. Paul is going to tell us right from the get-go who the children of God are. And then he's going to get straight to the point. He's not going to beat around the bush at all. And he's going to tell us what the Spirit confirms and how the Spirit does it. So here, look, if you're in here this morning and you're struggling or have struggled with doubt or the confirmation that the Spirit places on our hearts, I hope that this message might be a little helpful for us this morning. So we come to verse 14, and we read Paul say, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There it is. If you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. Now, Paul isn't some misogynistic creep. We read son of God there, and he simply means people or son or daughter. Those who are led by the Spirit, Paul says, are the children or sons and daughters of God. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God, though? There's a lot of meanings about that right now, isn't there? Does it mean this warm, cozy feeling? Does it mean this out-of-body experience where you see angels and demons fighting? Does it mean, like, uh, what's his name, going off into the desert and finding a guy reading the Bible and this guy asking him, well, what prevents me from being baptized? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? So this is why context is important. This is why, just not saying, here, I'm going to interpret this passage by myself, but actually saying, what does the Bible have to say about this is important. We've got to look at the logic of what Paul is saying here. Paul has been saying something up to this point. He's been arguing for something up to this point. So what has Paul been arguing? What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, verse 2, The Spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, the end of it, Living by the Spirit brings you life and peace. For those who are led by the Spirit, Right? That's what we're looking at. It's the context we need. Verse 11, if 
The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And then last week, verse 13, the end of it, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be Spirit-led? To be a child of God. Here, try summing it like this, or summarizing it like this. To be led by the Spirit means to have a unique relationship with Christ. That's verse 2, which causes them to have life and peace. Verse 6, and now the dwelling of the Holy Spirit that takes residence in your heart. Verse 11, and then changed affections and desires for the things of God. To be spirit-led ultimately means to have affections that are stirred to live for Jesus because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. For all, for all, Paul says, who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. To be spirit leads to be means to be a child of God. You care for and desire the same things as your heavenly Father. So here we're met with something very important as we move forward. If you do not have the desire or the affections, the same affections and desires that God has that we've just seen, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, walking in step with the Spirit, life and peace, freedom from the law of sin and death. Even though you may attend church, read your Bible, or pray, if you are not led by the Spirit, then you are not a child of God. Your affections are stirred, your desires are are to please God. You're all in. You are picking up your cross as an ancient rabbi once said and following him. That's Jesus, by the way, if you don't know. When I was in college, I was just trying to scrape, scrape by just trying to earn a buck. And I confess, I almost was taken captive by a pyramid scheme. I remember it was all the rage. I mean, it still is, right? <laughs> and I remember actually talking with one of the guys, a part of this pyramid scheme or multi-level marketing system, whatever it's called, and him saying, look, what are your dreams? 
What are your goals? What do you want to do? So I started telling him this and this, and he said, wow, that's good and that's noble. But here's the deal. This is what I tell everyone, Max, is if you are not completely bought in, then don't bother trying. If you are not captivated by what you want to do, then what's going to happen is you're going to burn out. And here's the thing. In college, I wasn't captivated at all by it. I saw, wow, you could make a lot of money. I was more captivated with playing basketball with Sharice and reading my Bible. No particular order. Basically, what he told me is if you don't care about this, then you will not succeed. Are you led by the Spirit? That's the question we need to ask ourselves right away. Do you care for the things of God? Is Christ seated on the throne of your life? Are your affections moved for Him? Do you desire to live a holy life? This is what Paul is getting at. You are either by the Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You are living a life led by the Spirit. Or the flesh is putting you to death. There is no such thing as a halfway Christian. we need to wrestle with this question, but then we need to apply Paul's gospel remedy. Because if you're led by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit, Paul is making a declaration, you are a child of God. And the Spirit confirms that for you. And how so? The next few verses are going to tell us, so let's keep going. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Simply put, Paul has already said this for us somewhere else, hasn't he? You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. This is even a call back to a, a chapter or two earlier. In Romans 6, verses 15 through 23, you are no longer a slave to righteousness. You are a slave to, or you are no longer a slave to unrighteousness. You are a slave to righteousness. If you believe in Jesus, all that sin that held you captive, all that addiction that's held you captive, God does not see you in light of sin anymore, but in light of Christ's righteousness. If you're led by the Spirit, then guess what? You don't need to be afraid of punishment. You don't need to be afraid of condemnation. If the Spirit dwells in you, then that has been satisfied on the cross for you. You're not a slave to sin. 
If you are a child of God, you are no longer a slave to sin. Paul says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Paul is saying, you have not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to be afraid of the punishment, to be afraid of the wrath of God. Now that doesn't mean that you still won't be tempted to sin, but that doesn't make you a slave to it anymore. The Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus as we've already seen and Paul has already told us. This is where we tend to stay, isn't it? The Spirit comes and sets us free, but instead we then navel-gaze and live in this pattern of self-condemnation. I'm not good enough. The devil whispers sweet lies and says, you'll never be good enough. You'll never owe God enough. You'll never amount to anything in your life where God will see you and accept you into his kingdom. And Paul right here says, no, you haven't received that spirit anymore. You have instead what? Let's keep on reading. If you haven't received the spirit of slavery, we've received something. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. This is what you've received. Look at that. You have received it. So yes, Satan might whisper those sweet lies of saying, you're not going to owe up anything. You can't pay back God enough. You need to keep on doing more. He sees you, God, and he says, tisk tisk. they still haven't done enough. And Paul says, no. You have received the spirit of adoption. You have received it. So we look at Satan in his beady little eyes and say, you're right, I can't owe him nothing. Jesus paid it all. The wages of sin is death. Guess what? We've been given the free gift of eternal life. This is incredible. This is something you have received. Have you received it? Messed up you, abused you, sinful you, addicted you. God adopted you while yet you were still a sinner. God has adopted me while I was still a sinner, despite all of our flaws, all of our screw-ups in this life. God looks at us now and says, this is my child. Whereas once... We were slaves to sin. 
Now we are children of God. This is what John is saying at the beginning of the gospel according to John. Some of you may know this verse, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the present reality now of those who have received Christ. Have you received Christ? Have you received him? Here, check this out. I thought this was pretty cool. You know when Jesus says, Abba, Father, do you know what he's doing when he says, Abba, Father? He's in the garden. Sweat and blood. Knowing that he's about to face the wrath of God, the complete and utter wrath of God, take on the sins of humanity, bear that weight, and he cries out, Abba, Father, if at all you can let this cup pass. And please, if there is a plan B, let that plan B come. If not, my will, yours be done. Jesus cries out, Abba, Father, knowing very well that he is about to drink the entire cup of God's wrath so that when you receive Christ, you can cry out, Abba, Father, receiving the cup of his mercy. Jesus died for your sin. Are you tired of being enslaved to your sin? Living for the next drink just trying to get by. Living for the next joint just trying to get by. Living for the next hit on that website to look at pornography just to get by. If you're here today and you're thinking there's no possible way that God could ever possibly let me in and save me. Let me just tell you this. There's a lot worse people in this book than you know. God's mercy and grace is so much bigger. And all you have to do is come to him. Are you tired? Are you looking for a father? Here he is. So if you are led by the Spirit, you haven't received the spirit of slavery, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This means that you are free from sin and you have now an intimate relationship with God. God is not an acquaintance. He's not somebody who keeps you at arm's length. He has now reconciled you back brought you into an intimate relationship where you can call him Abba, Father. Abba is the most intimate way that a person could say Daddy or Father. He lets you that close to him. That's 
not it. He, Paul goes on to say that there's more. That the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Bear witness, let's just go ahead and say confirm. It's the same word there in the Greek. Bear witness or confirm. So what does this mean? This, this passage I've always wrestled with quite a bit. Does this just mean I look up to the heavens and I shout to God and I say, Hey God, hey you there? Can you please let the Spirit bear witness to my spirit that I'm a child of God? I'm kind of having a down day here. And then he strikes a lightning bolt and in the grass right next to me it says, Yes, child of God. Hey, God, if uh, I'm a child of God, can you let all of the leaves off of this tree fall off right into my next door neighbor's yard? Sorry, Ron. Do you just bear witness and confirm with me? Oh, how it rarely works like that, right? So what does it mean that the Spirit bears witness or confirms with our spirit that we're children of God? Does it mean just this form, uh, warm, fuzzy feeling? What has Paul been saying up to this point? That's the important question, right? A desire to put to death the deeds of the flesh. A desire to no longer to live as a slave, but to live free. A desire to call out, Abba, Father, and obey God as if He is your Father. What confirms that we are of the Spirit? How does the Spirit confirm that we're of the Spirit? A desire to follow God. To live a holy life. And yes, there are those special and unique spiritual instances where you are deep in prayer and you ask, Spirit, bear witness to my spirit. And there is an overwhelming sense of peace. Here's just a quick story. One of, one of my guys, Charles Spurgeon, is a Baptist preacher. He's a really well-known Baptist preacher that God used back in the 19th century. <clears throat> he was unsure of his salvation. So Sunday morning, he woke up and he was unsure. He needed a confirmation. He, he got to the point where he could not even get up and preach. He was supposed to preach in front of thousands and he could not do it. So he went to this little church in the country, sat in the back, He's listening to the message. He started weeping. The pastor was actually preaching a sermon that he had written. <laughs> In tears, he goes up to the person who preached the message. He said, thank you so much for preaching that message. Now I know that I'm truly a child of God and must go back and preach the good news of the gospel. 
There are times when we have that unique testimony where the Spirit bears witness in a way of saying, here's Jesus. And there then are other times where we look and we ask, are my affections stirred for God? Am I daily trying to make progress in sanctification to be holy like God, to obey God? Because here then is the outcome. The Spirit bears witness. Here is how the Spirit still will in the future bear witness. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Now here, 21st century Americans, this verse is hard to grasp because we are selfish, greedy, independent people. At any, uh, as kids, right, you look forward, going to college, see you later, mom and dad, I'm out of here. But during this time, and in most cultures, the family unit is incredibly important. And the oldest child receives the inheritance. The heir. They're the heirs. They receive the large sum, whether it was a farmland or a business or the majority of the animals. This is why in the story of the prodigal son, the older brother is so angry. What are you doing giving all of your money away to this foolish young brother of mine who just wants to spend it? Why are you throwing a party for him that's dipping into my inheritance some more? But what happens when you're a child of God is Christ came to secure an inheritance not for himself, but to share it with you, to share it with me. And so, because we are children of God, we all are also heirs of God with Christ. And then Paul at the end here throws in this last strange little thing, provided we suffer with him so that we are glorified with him. This is the way. (laughs) Sorry to burst your bubble. In this life, if you are a child of God, you will suffer. It's going to happen. And this is why we can find hope and comfort that the Spirit confirms that we're children of God. Because when you are at your lowest, and you don't think you can get any lower, the next day you wake up and you go even further down. The Spirit of God is there holding you, saying, I am not going to let go because you are an heir. God does not let one of his sheep go. 
he will not let one of his children die. So, the Spirit, how does it confirm that we're children of God? It confirms that it's brought us freedom, that you don't have to be a slave anymore. It confirms that now you have an intimate relationship with God whom you can call Abba, Father. It confirms that it uniquely will bear witness and it stirs our affections and it confirms by bringing us an inheritance. And lastly, it confirms that through suffering, we are glorified with Jesus.